So for context, um, we're in the month of Elul. If you're watching the moon, it's growing. And uh, it was a tiny, tiny sliver, um, tiny sliver on, uh, what was it, uh, Saturday, right? And um, so as the moon of Elul waxes and then wanes, we make our way to Rosh Hashanah, which is on the next new moon, which is the new moon of Tishrei. And so Elul, this cycle of the moon, is the cycle of where the high holiday season begins as we prepare ourselves for Rosh Hashanah. And the operative word, as many of you know, is Teshuvah, which means return. It's a time of return. Uh, returning to, on every level, returning to the synagogue. You know, as we sort of, Rosh Hashanah is on the horizon, you know what I mean? And the, we're bustling with energy here as we prepare for our big grand entrance into the, into the new year. And returning to one's relationship, right relationship with life, with God as you understand it, with our loved ones, with the Jewish community. On every level, there's a, uh, an element of return. Uh, another word about Elul is that uh, there are two paradigms of the covenant that the Jewish people are uh, entered into with the Creator. Right? We're, in co- we're in a covenant. That's our understanding. We're in a sacred relationship. That's what happens on Mount Sinai. We say, yes, we will do it. And we receive the commandment. And in Jewish tradition, covenant is presented from the earliest time on in two um, models. The covenant of law, the covenant of the... Um, the, uh, the ruler, the king, and the king's subjects. I'll give you protection if you follow my laws, right? And that's a covenant of us in our smallness, as it were, trembling. We come before the king on the day of judgment. Are we going to get to live for another year, right? That's one, one level of the kind of emotional quality of this relationship, fear and trembling. Um, and certainly life has that element to it. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Life is scary. Who's going to live? Who's going to die? All of that is true, right? There's that element of, oh my God, <laughs> you know, God, please help me. That's, the, uh, that's that power over relationship. But in the same time, going back to the earliest, the earliest Jewish thought, it's the relationship of love. It's the relationship of committed lovers, which is the covenant, which is the other way the covenant is described. And that is what the Song of Songs is the heartbeat of in the Jewish tradition. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And so we're also, we're being, we're being called back to our covenant of, as it were, justice, but we're also being called back to 
to our covenant of love, which has a whole different resonance to it. And that's Elul, in particular, gets played that way, because it says, I am my Elul, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, as many of you know, is used as an acronym for a phrase in Hebrew. Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li, which means from Song of Songs, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. So, depending on where we're at, we're called back out of a sense of fear, a sense of duty, a sense of responsibility, and we're also being called back to our commitment just out of love. I like that one, obviously. <laughs> when love calls us, when it draws us. So rather than being pushed out of sense of fear or responsibility, that's one level of the covenant. The other is that we're drawn back out of our love. Out of our love for it all. We've found ourselves disconnected or cut off, or our commitment has been like battered, or where our hearts are tired, or, and something's calling us back in love. Isn't that beautiful? There's a Jewish tradition that mixes both the potentate imagery of the king and his subjects and the lover imagery comes out of Hasidic teachings, which would make sense, because so much of Hasidic teachings is about how much God loves us and wants us. And that is that the rest of the year, the king, as it were, because they always use the king in traditional Jewish stories to represent God, the king is sitting on his throne in the palace. And approaching the king is, picture it, right? the giant hall and the it, terrifying. But that during Elul, the king walks in the field. The king walks in the field and you can just approach the king. The king is out of the palace. It's kind of, and then on the day of judge, on, on, on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we're back in like, Hine Yom Hadin, behold, it's the day of judgment. But in Elul, it's the time to reestablish our relationship. So that when we go to the king, we, and the king winks at us, I saw you out there, you know. So it's both a loving relationship, and I love that, this idea of the king in the field. And the Baal Shem Tov liked to tell a parable that everyone wanted to get into the king's palace. And it was a maze, a labyrinth. And at each entry point where you'd get in through it, there were guards and dangers and struggles and challenges and most people gave up. But in this story, one person just says, I just want to see the king. I love the king so much and cries from his heart from how much he loves. And all of a sudden, all the palace disappears. It was all an illusion. And the king is sitting in the field. So that's a metaphorical story about our spiritual journey. We struggle and we strive and we go. And then sometimes 
just out of the passion of our yearning, we're blessed with a moment when, oh, it's right here. There was no obstacle at all. That's the way, that, that's another describer, way to describe it. So, I like thinking of Elul as the time when we are called back in love. I'm my beloved, and my beloved is mine. And we recognize in our battered hearts that we actually don't want to give up. We don't want to stay walled in. Because we love so much. Hi. Hi. So, I wanted to share that with you. And that's the covenant of love. The sacred container of the committed relationship we have with life where we can always come back and will be received. Nice and loud, Miriam. Um, so Ra'eh begins with? Parshad Ra'eh, which is um, last week's Torah portion. Blessing and a curse. See, I put before you today a blessing and a curse. So, which gives us choice. So, I feel that that is giving us the opening the opening to Elul. Yes, Parshat A is an opening to Elul. I put for you blessing and curse. And, and we have a choice, and part of that is that we, <coughs> if we need, if we need to get That's right. So many of the rabbinic teachings about repentance, about teshuva, are that all you have to do is turn and God will be, come the rest of the way, as it were. Because time and space don't matter. All that matters is love. And so we, it's all of these different metaphors for if we would just turn to one another, to, then love can flow again. The turning is where the courage comes in, where the choice comes in, where it, you know, it's not easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't have a whole month dedicated to it. (laughs) But on on the journey of the open heart, this is where we are in the year. We want to, and boy, it's a hard year, right? I mean, I think it's just a hard year. I feel like as I, you know, I spend a lot of time contemplating what I want us to um, receive and give each other on the high holidays. I want to, and the word that comes to mind over and over again this year is strength. Mm-hmm. Give us strength to face the world while it just sort of like spins so wildly. And the first, so that's what we get to do with, for each other. That, for me, is the value of having a sacred time and a sacred community so that we can turn towards one another and wish each other and give each other what we need to face the world. I mean, really, the Yiddish word is tachlis, which means, bottom line, let's give each other what, what we need to be strong. So. Right, seeing. Mm-hmm. 
That's Miriam's Torah portion, so she's just really, she's completely, beautifully immersed in it. So now I want to, we're going to meet over three weeks, and we're going to look at different texts. We're also going to speak about our own experience. This is our opportunity to, to actually prime ourselves for Rosh Hashanah. I mean, if you just showed up on Rosh Hashanah without doing any of this priming work of Elul, as, like, uh, we have a lovely man who's uh, repairing our house right now. And, you know, the prep work takes him three weeks, and then the painting takes two days. You know that about construction, right? So we got to do the prep work here. We got to prime ourselves, and then we'll paint ourselves up on Rosh Hashanah, and out we'll go fresh as a daisy. But he was saying, the last person who painted this place, he's, of course, all contractors do this. Whoever did it last didn't do it right, but that's another story. The last person who painted this place just slapped the paint on. It's like, we got to get down to the bones of this house and like, make sure this lasts for 20 years. And I love the way he works. Um, he cares more about doing it right than, than anything else. It's, and, and we have a great relationship because this is Bill Williams, who many of you remember, from, because he works at his own pace. It's going to take him as long as they, but he also doesn't, anyway, it's, we're happy, he's happy, it, we know we're getting the best job possible, yeah. Does the last contractor you when you fell? No, no, I was just cleaning gutters, I'm not the, okay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so one of the things I love to do that some of you are familiar with is uh, gematria. Gematria is Hebrew numerology. Every year, I look at the year on the Jewish calendar. This year is 5,777. Wow. Sounds significant to me. Um, isn't that great? Now, every Hebrew letter, every Hebrew number is indicated in in Jewish tradition by a Hebrew letter. There are no, no num numerals in traditional Judaism. So uh, just so that we're all on the same page, Aleph, the first letter through the tenth letter, Yud, is one through ten. Kaf through um, um, Kuf is twenty through a hundred. And then Reish, Shin, Taf, the last three letters of the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters, are 200, 300, and 400. So that's how it works. So if you ever look, is your calendar, have the Hebrew letters on it? Um, Yael makes a yeah, beautiful calendar with, with her artwork for every month. So that's the plug. Uh, it's just a beautiful calendar. Take a look at it before you go. And... Um, here, you won't be able to see this, but it says Taf Shin Ayin Zion. I'll have it here. I'll hand it out here shortly. Taf is 400, Shin is 300, Ayin is 70, and Zion is 7. So 400 and 300 is 777. So you will see on a Jewish calendar those Hebrew letters, Taf Shin Ayin Zion, and that means 777. The 5,000 typically doesn't get used. I, so I guess people remember which millennium, you're supposed to remember which millennium you're in. <laughs> so the, the 5,000 would be represented by a hay, 
by for five. That's how it works. It's not. It, it's it's somewhat. It's creative. And um, so, Tafshin Ayin Zion are the numer are the letters that make up seven hundred and seventy seven. So many of you are familiar with this because I've been doing it for very many years. I sit down with uh, Karen Levine, on, and she has a program on her computer that only works on her very ancient, like, she has, she has this giant laptop that she still has. We need to get an update. Um, where if you type in the number 777 in this program, it will then spit out to you every word and phrase in the entire Tanakh that adds up to 777. Every word or every phrase that when you add up the value of all the letters in that word, add up to 777. And then we go through them and I just trust my intuition because what could, this is like, <laughs> this is like um, uh, I, Ching. I Ching, right? Yeah. This is my Jewish I Ching. That's what I do. And I pull out the ones, that's for this year. That's, and then I look at them and I sit with them. So this is my personal practice, which I've been doing for years, that I then share at the High Holidays this time with you, and we draw from it what we draw from it. So I use this, this, whole, uh, this sort of sacred game, numbers game, uh, to look for what the year might want to give me. Yes? Could you make available for us that list? I have it right here. No, no, I have it right here. I'm about to, I'm about to hand it out. Yeah, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the phrases that that I intuitively collated from the list, and you'll see what I did with them, and we'll use it as a way to start. I mean, so this is the interface between the Tanakh, the numbers me reflecting on the year and then sharing it with you as a way to start. And on the high holidays, you'll be hearing these themes. You're all getting, like, we're all previewing them together. They're not going to get old, believe me. Uh, um, so, Leher, that's what I've got. Here, Bob, take one and pass it around. Oh, I'll start over here. Good. Oh, there's something else I need to say. Thank you. I made plenty. Oh my God. Okay. Rabbi, this is a random selection. Of hundreds in the computer? Not hundreds. But many. But many. Many more. So here's, what, here's my system, Bob. First of all, I look for coherent phrases. Because the vast majority are random snippets that the computer picks out of words that happen to be in sequence, but are like half a clause, or the beginning of one sentence, the end of one sentence. Okay. So those all go first. 
And then I look for real, real sort of complete clauses that have context. And then from there, I winnow the list down. So there's not that many when all said and done. Yeah, but it isn't really just throwing a, a dart at the it's, it's throwing a dart. No, you're really <laughs> selecting. No, I'm really, that's right, I'm really selecting. Yeah. Uh, but I'm using 777 as my, well, as my guide. Of course, right. So, um, here's what I got. First, Karen and I searched for any, any verses, for complete verses. And any, especially any verses that added up, were there any verses that added up to 5,777? Because that requires quite a, uh, I mean, that's pretty precise. And there was one verse. Pauline, do you want to sit closer by any chance? Uh, yeah. Here. Here. Would you pass these down? Hi, Natalie. Natalie is my gift from God. <laughs> okay. Take care of the rest of life's issues while I get to study. Here. Great. We're good? Now, bye, Natalie. See you again. Bye, Natalie. Bye. Gift from God. She has a new name now. So there was, I thought it was, uh, let's see, significant, um, portentous, uh, that there was one line in the whole Torah, one complete verse in the entire Hebrew Bible that added up to this year. And it's kind of a, it's, it's a, quite a line. It yeah. says, Sod saduni chinam. My enemies have ensnared me like a bird without cause. I looked and I said, that's how I feel this year. So that's why it's not just random, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, it's about the presidential election. <laughs> well, there's no way to ignore the presidential election in our country right now. And we're not here, obviously, to talk politics, but we're here to figure out how we stay upright, how we get out of the snares that we find ourselves in. Now, now, enemies, enemies in Jewish spiritual talk can both be external enemies and our internal snares, right? I'm more interested in our internal snares because I don't have any control over my enemies. That's not where I can take action on Rosh Hashanah. I mean, not in terms of the inner work that this is about. The inner work is to strengthen us so that we can make the best decisions in our outer activities, right? But if we are feeling completely ensnared without cause and trapped, how is that going to impact our ability to be agents in our lives, to be actors as opposed to reactors? So for me, the spiritual work of Elul and Rosh Hashanah is this inner consideration so that we are with each other's interests, 
love and support, figuring out how to reclaim and muster the person we want to be, moment to moment. Reminds me of uh, Joseph's situation. Joseph in Genesis. Which part? Totally ensnared when he gets thrown into prison without cause. Mm -hmm. And yet the Lord is with him and he acts from within. He never loses faith and he has such integrity and insight that that's what lifts him back out. That's Joseph's greatness. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I keep thinking of one of the parshas I'm studying now of Noah, where Noah gets this idea of that the world is going to be destroyed. And what's going on inside of him? Because he doesn't say a word to anybody. Not in, the, not in his portion. Noah not doesn't speak. Portion. And so you see in the portion the evolvement of what does happen to him and how does it happen and why. And it's all about our internal struggles of what we struggle with to become who it is we want to be, the best of what we can be. So life is going to constantly test us. We're being tested in a particular way as concerned American citizens right now. Um, uh, bombarded, overwhelmed, uh, um, bewildered, uh, who knows, we can come up with it, um, angered. Uh, but life's always going to test us. That's why Rosh Hashanah is always valid. right? Because no matter what, life's going to test us. We happen to be in a context right now that's really, let's see, pressing on me. Um, I've been, I'm, I'm fighting my own internal battle to, um, uh, in all kinds of ways. I, I want to talk about it with you. Uh, um, but here's this phrase. My enemies have ensnared me like a bird without cause. Now, this is from the Book of Lamentations, no less. The Book of Lamentations, or Echa in Hebrew, Echa means woe, W-O-E. Alas, that's the name of the book. If you're not familiar with it, it's five chapters of, of, ter- of, 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 of um, laments lament about the um, destruction of Jerusalem in the year 586 BCE. And they're vivid and painful and uh, describing the situation for a refugee and destroyed people in, in just completely vivid language of, of what visceral, detailed. You could be reading about Syrian refugees washing up on the beach. That's the Book of Lamentations. It's like you're there. We read it last month on Tisha B'Av. That's what we do. I'm glad we don't have to read it more than once a year. But I'm glad we read it once a year, if you know what I'm saying. Like, because it's an element of human experience that the Torah encompasses that, that I don't want to just ignore. Gail, you want to say something? No, just that's the book that brought me back to Judaism. Would you say a little about that? I, I don't know how I ended up. I have no idea where I was or how I got there. But I somehow was at a service in a church, a Jewish service in a church, maybe on Tisha B'Av. I have no idea how it happened. Must have been. A lot of synagogues share churches. Well, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It must have been Tisha B'Av. I yeah. don't know whether, but I knew nothing. This was in the mid-90s. I was totally ignorant. I don't I have no idea how I got there. 
and we read Lamentations out loud. And a lot of Lamentations says, God, you have deserted us. Where are you? Mute, as they took our infants and threw them against the wall. I mean, it's very visceral. And then it kind of ends with, and, and somehow you're the mystery. Hashivenu, bring call us back and we will return. I had never, for me, to have that encounter as part of Judaism, where we say, how can this be happening? Where are you? And have it right out there as a service allowed me to come. It actually brought me back. Wow. That's so interesting, Gail, because I've often said, you know, often Jews who aren't involved in Judaism will show up for a holiday, like Purim. And, and I think, well, and I think, you know, that's what they, it, and you showed up for Tisha B'Av. And my reaction would be, oh God, she's going to think this is all Ju- we do, you know. But, on the, but no, it gave you the opening you needed to, because it... Be- I grew up on the Holocaust. Right. So for me, that was the unres- unanswerable and not sufficiently addressed question I have walked away. And Echa is a lament, it's a dirge, and it's a, um, uh, well, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, like, where are you? Angry. Uh, yeah, yeah, anguished and angry. It's all there. It's yeah. so painful. And this particular service included later writing as well. Included writing? Later writing as well, including some from the show. Oh, some later writing where they wove in other. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I wow. recommend it. I, mean, I recommend coming right. to that service because it's. What's the reasoning for reading Lamentation on Tisha B'av? Because Tisha B'av marks the destruction of the temple. And Lamentations was written in the 6th century as a direct response to the destruction of the first temple. So it's, it's, a, it's a one-to-one connection. Okay. Yeah. But Tisha B'av then, over the centuries, also becomes, develops these spiritual dimensions of exile as a, as a exile and destruction as spiritual conditions, as well as remembering the historical incident. And so uh, it's, a, it's a very, it's a dark, dark moment. And you enter it, and then Tisha B'Av falls seven weeks before Rosh Hashanah. And that's quite intentional, again, in the wisdom of the Jewish calendar. Um, because seven weeks is like you count seven weeks from Passover until Shavuot, and you take that journey from liberation to the Holy Mountain. Then you take this journey from exile and devastation to I'm, I'm going to keep living. It's a new year. And the last line of the Book of Lamentations says, that's the last line of the book, which means, bring us back, God. And we will return, God. Renew our days as, in, as they once were. So it's... Mm-hmm. Seven is also in there, but Shuvah, Teshuva, return. So the Book of Lamentation ends with bring us back. 
And then we know in the liturgical cycle of the Jewish year that Elul is coming, Rosh Hashanah is coming, we're coming back. No matter, we are choosing life again. We are opening our hearts again. We're doing it again. I don't want to. You know, no, no, it's not an option. As long as you were here, we make, we turn and return. Yeah. So I'm really struck with all the sevens, and then now there's three of them here. Yes, I am totally. Like, you know, in a dream when something repeats itself, it's like pay attention. This is pay attention three times. This is a seven, seven, seven year. Which really says to me, really be awake for this. This And I'm actually going to speak a lot about this on Rosh Hashanah, which is because then we have to ask ourselves, what does seven mean in the Jewish gestalt? Seven days uh, till the Shabbat. Seven days of Shiva. I mean, it Seven just keeps, keeps repeating over and over again, as, as I think, as a reminder that things need to be deconstructed and even destroyed to be built up again. And it happens in nature all the time. And we're part of nature, we're human beings. And in order for us to keep being, I don't, I don't mean reborn in the Christian sense, but to be reborn, it, it's, it's necessary, to, to, I would say to choose life. It's necessary to keep moving us in that direction. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. But it's it seems like that's the way it is. Seven is the sacred cycle of time in Judaism. And six days of work, and the seventh day, you restore your soul. That's it. Rest is the kind of colloquial translation, but it says, "Vayom Hashvi'i Shavat Bayinafash." And on the seventh day, God ceased and was renewed. Yinafash Nefesh is your soul or your life force. Yinafash means that you are, as we've said many times, resold. S o u l e d. You are, uh, so Shabbat is not for the purpose of rest so that you can then go back to work the next day, even though that sits on its most sort of concrete level. Isn't seven a prime number also? Seven is a prime number. Yeah. 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 Seven is, seven's a magic seven number. Is a lot. Yeah. Seven, an ancient world just gives us sevens in the seven spheres of the cosmos and the, all seven of it. Seven deadly sins. Seven, love seven. Seven spheres. The seven species, seven, seven, seven. Judaism seems to be the one to go the furthest with seven. Because seven becomes a code, coded. Seven is a, a flag in Judaism. It means the day of when we complete and renew ourselves. Whether it's the seventh day. Remember the seventh year is called the sabbatical year? Right, right. Um, and so... S- it's very significant. Seven seventy. Seven seventy. But you say it's a coded word. That's right. The Chabad, um, the, 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 the Lubavitch Rebbe lived at seven seventy Eastern Parkway. So that was that's very significant. So um, yes, we're, I'm going to be speaking a lot about seven on Rosh Hashanah because it's just right here, right here. Hmm? It's like triple seven. Triple seven. Yeah. How can you not? <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne? Yeah, I, I, it, this is like so interesting to me. I, 
I see like that, um, that when I think about seven, I think about, you know, and how it's repeating all over the place, I think about structure. Structure. That mm -hmm. there's a structure to the universe that is, that is true, that is not, a, that we didn't create it, that there's someone else or some other force that created that. Mm -hmm. And then I look at that in contrast to this phrase, which is my enemies have assisted me like a bird without cause. Without cause. I didn't do anything to deserve this. There wasn't anything that I did. Internally, externally, what happened? It's it's something who can imagine what happened to these people who were who are on the walls and what happened to them? What sense did that make? And then yet connecting that through Echa and what you said about the very last sentence of Echa returning, that there is in fact an order to it. And even though we don't understand it, maybe we just have to accept it and go with the flow. So that's what I'm You said that so beautifully, thank you. Um, and I'll, I'll say something else about that in a minute. Yes, Helen. Did the book of Job come after the book of Lamentations? Um, because it seems so... Job is... Fair, Job, Job and Lamentations represent the most stark and challenging... And necessary. And ne it's all necessary. Uh, you've heard me say many times that the Hebrew Bible is an anthology of books that each one is adding a voice and the voice of Job is the voice of what the hell is going on here yeah without cause I mean that's without the cause a, it's, it's a role of God and Satan I was good what did I do yeah and and the reason and when you read Job which we've studied here and it was it was a it changed me um, uh, is that it starts with this motif this this good guy named Job and meanwhile, the Satan, not Satan as a character, but Satan in Hebrew means the adversary. In other words, in the heavenly court, they imagine a prosecuting angel who says, humankind sucks, and I'm going to show you, and says to God, I bet you could get Job the, to curse you. And God says, it's a bet. And then all this crap happens to Job. So um, it's a very, Job, Job is the answer to, um, say, statements in Deuteronomy that say God will, will reward the righteous and punish the, you know, uh, because the Hebrew Bible is actually a conversation about all this, not, as, not nearly as much as a uh, consistent theology. Or a it, recipe. Or a recipe, right, right. That's one of the things I love about Judaism. Yeah. is that our theology is a theology of dialogue. It's, yeah. it's like, well, what do you think about that now? You know, how's that working for you now? You know? <laughs> and then this, again, in that, the, in that theme of sevens, you wrestle with it six days a week, and on the seventh day, you change your level of perspective. You change your perspective. You step back and you say, somehow... It's all good. It's all good, somehow. And then you dive back in with that kind of bolstering you and buoying you up, you know? You step way back. 
with the good and the bad and the crap and the I'm breathing, it's wow. And you restore yourself and then you're back into the fray. It's beautiful. But you can't have one without the other, right? There's no permanent Shabbos until we're dead. Because we're alive. We're in the game. What? We all wish. Yeah, when Mashiach comes. That's right. That's when Mashiach comes, when Messiah comes. We'll, we'll, all be, we'll, all be sitting, uh, we'll all be sitting together drinking schnapps. And... Oh, Joe will be sure. Joe's, good. Well, Joe's already there. But you know, I was thinking, when, what was the name of that book? When, good, when, bad, things when bad things happen to good people. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking, well, you know, when we, we have Yom HaShoah. We have Yom HaShoah. And then before you know it, we're celebrating the birth of Israel. That's right. And so you have, again, this, this balancing act that seems that that's a way we managed to go through, that's through right. life because it was over, you know, seemed to be too weighted on one side. You can't appreciate the other side. Thanks, Avis. One season following another, laden with happiness right. and tears. Right, it's the most Jewish song, right? That's because it's the truth. Let's just tell the truth here. I'm much more relaxed when we're telling the truth. But it's not even necessarily following each other. I think for me, the biggest challenge has always been to hold them both in the same moments of time because that's what really happens. When I was younger, I remember, I used to think, well, I'm really upset now, so I'm going to be upset about everything. Nothing is good. And, and I have to show the world that I'm upset so they understand what I'm thinking. That's, what, that, that that's the kid of, mentality, right. That's the mentality of the child. But as adults, I don't know if it's only me, maybe. We're all working on this. It's a very hard challenge to know that I'm sitting here relishing this class I'm in, excited about Four other things. My my son is laying somewhere in an emergency room with a bad reaction with his broken leg and surgery. This is going on with this, and this is going on with that, and I'm not, and at the same moment in time, it's all within me. But I don't have to give up the balloon I'm holding because of. But it's a challenge, and for me, that's the challenge. It's not linear. That is so well put, yes, that the way to survive in the world and thrive as, with adult consciousness is to be able to hold that all at the same time. And again, for me, Shabbat, the seven, the, the completeness is when we step back and, and hold it all. So let me go to another little riff on that, and then I'll get you, Laura. Um, Mine sort of fits in right Oh, here. go right ahead. So... This all made me think of something my mother's best friend, Thelma Rosenthal, said to me one day. She was walking her dog in a field, and she was picking wildflowers, and she was also picking up the dog poop. And she said, ah, just like life. On one hand, a bunch of wildflowers. On the other hand, a bag of dog shit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nicely put. And to make it even more so. That's that- why I had to come in there. And the dog shit feeds the flowers. 
And that's true too. It's amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? So Dina, was, Dina Crane was taught me once that shalom is a beautiful word. You say Shabbat shalom. Shalom, which we translate as peace, comes from the root for wholeness, fullness, completeness, fulfillment. Right? When you say to someone, Refuah Shlema, have a complete recovery. Uh, um, so, and Shalem means fulfilled. So, Kehilat Lev Shalem, the congregation of the full heart. So, Shalom, this was, I'm, again, I'm, 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 I'm citing my teacher, Dina. Shalom is not the condition where there, of peace where there's an absence of conflict. It is the condition of peace where you can hold it all and remain okay. Does that make sense, everybody? Yeah. That's shalom. So Shabbat shalom really gets richer when you say it that way. Um, because um, you step back and, and you hold it all. And so the Nomi Shemer song, Al Kol Eile which says, for all of it, that's what it means. Al hadvash ve'al ha'oketz, this is like the most, one of the most famous Israeli songs, al hadvash ve'al ha'oketz, al ha'marav on the honey and the, okay, it's the thorn, uh, on the bitter and the sweet, al kol ele, on all of it, al kol ele, al kol ele, bless it all, that's the song. Bless it all, the bitter and the sweet. That's really the biggest, for me, the biggest perspective. That's enlightenment, everybody. I mean, that's when someone can retain their equanimity in the face of life, not out of false optimism and not out of uh, denial and not out of any of those other things. That's called enlightenment in English. Um, that's... That's that consciousness of sevens. Yeah. And, and to still work to make things better. And to still work to make things better. That's right. That's right. It's out of that space, you look around and see, hey, how can I spread more light and love in the world? What can I do now? Knowing that, lo alecha, it's not, you're not able to finish the work, but as Right, Tarfan says, you're, you're also not free to quit. Lo alecha hamlachagligmor, velo ataben chorin lihit batelimena. That's from Pirkavot, that's from the teachings of the sages. It is not up to you to finish the task, but neither are you free to lihibatel, which means to um, vacate, to just walk away from it. Oh, I'm feeling better already, everybody. <laughs> like living is a full-time job. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But just to challenge a little bit, does this kind of mentality um, hold up when the bitter is really out of proportion with the sweet, like the people um, during the destruction of no. Jerusalem whose children are being no. murdered and their homes are being burned? And does this kind of, oh, let me, you know... No, that's why the only person I can do this for is myself. I cannot pass judgment on anybody because right. I don't know the battle they're fighting. 
I can support them, I can be interested in them, I can love them, I can even, out of my love, chastise them. But what if it's you? I need you. Who's drowning in hardship. That's when, you, that's when all of this comes into play. That's why we do spiritual work. So that during those times, some piece of us says, this too shall pass. I'm not the center of the universe. All the things that we practice in our development as human beings, just what Pauline was saying, um, so that ultimately, the way I look at it, is we're preparing ourselves for our day of death. You know, that's what Yom Kippur is. The culmination of these holy days is Yom Kippur. When we say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready with curiosity and love and open hands and everything I can muster for whatever's next. I have no idea who shall live and who shall die. It's spiritual work. What are our options? Now, righteous anger, which I've got plenty of. We all, I mean, no sh- it's fuel. It's delicious. Ugh, mm. <laughs> it moves us. On, on the other hand, on the other hand, it also saps us. Um, and so I'm not, I, I'm not prescribing anything. I'm saying on the six days of the week, we wrestle with life. And then on the seventh day, we try to restore our perspective so that we're, our heads aren't totally down in our drama. So that when the shit is happening, some little piece of us is remembering, is witnessing, is knowing. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. But to, to say about other people, why aren't you? If you ever catch me doing that, stop me. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. The other thing is that enlightenment isn't a static state. I don't think anybody I read about. No more than shalom is a is a place of no movement. Shalom is is if. But not only that, but what I'm saying is that I think I don't know. Maybe other people have other experiences, but you can have it sometimes only for an instant. So hopefully. When my instinct is here, I may offer you something that you don't have in that instant. In the next instant, I might not be there. That's right. I mean, it doesn't. We don't. We don't become enlightened and we're done. And I'm leaving. Thank you. I graduated. It doesn't work. No, because you have your Sabbath. This that complete that 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 moment where we try to uh, where we where we want to not try to but where we want to. Um, remember the big picture and then we launch back into life and while we're busy launch, while busy wrestling with life we lose our we lose our perspective yeah. seven means in Judaism the whole getting your perspective back again um Sarah and then I'm reminded of the words Reb Nachman Reb Nachman said Joy must fill the air. When a difficult time is here, our joy must fill the air. That was that was like for you. That was my first turning. It was my first 
Pacific Wesson when I was editing Rabbi's Island with that. And I couldn't get my head around that for the longest time. How was that possible? How was it possible to do both? Acknowledge that hard time and that responsibility to have your joy fill the air. Somebody who's really good at it and who had many years to practice is the Dalai Lama, mm-hmm. right? And he's blessed and, you know, to, he's an amazing guy. And I, he was talking on the, uh, sometime this last year, and he said, and, and, and many of his followers are flipped out that he's turning 80 years old. Right? They, it's like he's their lifeline. And, and what he says, and if you've, I, I have only, no reason not to believe that he means it. He says, Yep, you're going to have to say bye-bye to me sometime. And then he starts laughing. You know, but not mean laughing, just like, yeah, I'm going to die. And to be able to inhabit that space and still be doing your work, it's like, what an amazing paradox that is of, 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 uh, um, of uh, being a complete human being. I'm aiming for it, right? I'm aiming for it. Just that's what the word kavana means. I'm aiming for that in my life, the, and then in my moments of suffering, and also when I'm caught in some in some trap that I had no make. It's just like it, without cause. Maybe I'll have a lot in the bank so that I can keep my bearings and move forward into the next crisis. Um, isn't that what Sharon Salzberg, was that her name called Full yes. Catastrophe Living? Uh, or, uh, the other one. Who, uh, another um, Jewish yeah. Buddhist. Another Jewish Buddhist. It was the guy up at MIT. Oh. Uh, 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 the guy up at MIT. No. I don't know. It's the, it's the guy. Anyway, Full Catastrophe Living. Yeah. Woody Allen had a movie, I remember, where he was going around asking people, how can you live when you know you're going to die? You know, with the, with that in mind, he was like obsessed with thinking about death and unable to live. Right. And he was asking other people, "How do you live? How do you? Don't you think about this all the time?" And they look, you know, like crazy. Right. So that's the question of Yom Kippur: How do you live when you know you're going to die? Most of the time, we do it by not thinking about it. Right. That's the, that's. I, I don't want to think about it all the time. But Yom Kippur forces it into our face. We say the prayers throughout the high holidays. On Rosh Hashanah, it's decided, and Yom Kippur, it's inscribed, who shall live and who shall die? Who shall be exalted and who shall be brought low? Who shall... uh, And we don't know. And so, and then we're supposed to, like, go on. Uh, Because, I don't know, I love that. I love, I love that part of Yom Kippur, that aspect of the High Holidays, where we confront our mortality, and then we summon all the tools and wisdom that we've gained over the years in order to go on living. Miriam, and then Blaze. Oh, Suzanne? Mm-hmm. I was just going to say real quick, it's John Kevin's in. He said that? Yes, oh, okay, good, good.
thing. Yep. To be able to see, right? Without cause, what happened? I didn't do anything, what's going on? I find it interesting that that's the only one that corresponds to 5777. Yeah. And yet, 777, there are multiple options. Yes. And that just like I'm glad, I just glanced at them, and they're all, if this, if the first is lab, is a lament, the other ones are like a consolation. Yeah. To me, they're, to do. Yeah, yeah, they like, they, it's they the try healing song. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, I, I'm going to help you see. I'm going to open your eyes, and I'm going to help you see what is true. And, um, you know, and in that way, it makes it a little bit easier for us to go through those times of, of trouble. So Right, and also, God willing, makes us, uh, makes us both more effective, but also be able to look ourselves in the mirror. And, and, and you know, say, I did it. I, stu- I, I, I hung in there. I did what I meant to do. I, you know, even though I'm not in charge of the outcome. Thank you. Thank you. Miriam and Blaze and uh, Rob, you all wanted to say something? Well, it's covered something that I never heard. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. I can't hear. No, it's okay. There were just a couple of, uh, couple of chats going on. Yeah, go ahead. The minute we're born, we start dying. The minute we're born, we start dying. We lost, but thank you, God, we praise you. We praise you, even though we lost, we are so grateful for life. Do you know the movie? No. It's a great movie, and the other team likes to, it takes their, their poof out of them, and all of a sudden they can't believe it. <laughs> that all of a sudden it's more important to pray in God than having one. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, Blaze, we... Well, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about this deserving business. Deserving. Do, do we just, what do we deserve? In other words, do we really deserve anything? I mean, lots of good things come to me, which I didn't do anything to, quote, deserve. And other not so good things happen, which I didn't do anything to not deserve. So the whole question of deserving kind of comes into play with me. Because um, I don't particularly necessarily think I do anything to deserve anything. And how does that perspective, what does that do for you? What, 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 it's, what, what, it's very humbling in a way. It's like, 
you know, good fortune, it's grace, good fortune falls upon me without my necessarily having done anything to deserve it. And bad fortune or ensnaring <coughs> happens without anything that I did to cause it. So the whole question of deserving is like, just sort of an open question about life, I guess, you know. It's a kind of... It might be very liberating to n n not be caught up in whether you deserve it or not. Yeah, in some ways it is. I mean, I don't always think that. Sometimes I think, oh, I deserve better, or I didn't deserve this. But on a, on a kind of a larger scale, I don't know whether people think about that or don't think about that or what they think about that if they do, but it's just sort of one of these questions that I live um, about deserving. Thank you. Thank you. Rob, you wanted to say something, and then... Sure. I was just going to comment on that. Comment on that. Um, just that I think what it might help you with and what I come back to with something like that is the concept of non-attachment and equanimity, which various other um, religions or schools of thought speak to, whether it's Sanskrit and yoga, or it reminds me of that story that is quoted oftentimes about a, a Chinese man whose son goes to war and the whole town says, oh, this is so bad, this is so terrible. And he says, good, bad, you know, it, it is. And this series of events that yeah. occur. Oh, that's so good. But then that led to this. Oh, that's yeah. so bad. Oh, that, right. oh, that's so good. There's, a, there's actually a rabbinic tale that is exactly the same. Is there? Okay. But the question of what did I do to deserve being born here in the United right. States, where other people are starving, somewhere else in the world. I have a home, other people don't, they're refugees. What did I do to deserve that, and what did they do to not? Right. Well, is it, is it really that simple though? Because is um, this I can't hear her. Oh, can you speak a little louder? Do you have a, I'm gonna turn the thermostat so that the fan goes off, and that'll help a little bit. And will it make it a little warmer? Make it a little warmer? Sure. No. While you're at it? <laughs> Sorry, the fan Some just of us won't. are freezing. It's okay. We'll all be fine. Okay. Um, Rabbi John, does, um, does Judaism incorporate the idea of I'll repeat it, Bob. Thank you. Does it the, incorporate the idea of karma? Does Judaism incorporate the idea of karma? Cause and effect. We live in a physical world. We know that if we do this, we get that reaction. You know, your soul decided to come here and to incarnate. In, I mean, like, if you believe that, I, I don't know. Well, before but we go in that direction, does. I want to talk a little more about deserving. Mm -hmm. Again, we have to hold two, two perspectives. The perspective of what I'll call the six days of work, where we are functioning in an economy. The economy of giving and receiving, of building something and getting capital and getting interest from it, of, of, of. It's like in that context, saying I deserve a raise is a good thing to say. It's in, and then there's the seven, the, the bigger per picture, which you, where you want, the purpose of having the big picture is that you hold the other picture a little more lightly so that the drama of, the, of, the, of that ex, all those exchanges that make up life aren't like putting you on an adrenaline roller coaster all the time. And from that perspective, no. 
we don't understand why, you know, I'm just glad, yeah, I, I'm just, everything's, I'm just lucky. Unbelievable. Lucky is far more real than deserving. Deserving is really nothing. Right, so what I'm saying, that's right, to what I'm saying, but in, in the, in how we train our kids, right, kids have to learn that you don't necessarily get something unless you earn it, right? And that is crucial to being a human being. But it's not the whole picture. That's the six days of the week. Does that make sense, Esther? Yes. Yeah, but deserving implies some kind of control. Like, do I have control over this? Ergo, am I deserving? But I often think that it's like, what road do you take? Suppose you took that road. Would that happen to you on that road? Right. You know, so it's, it's um, you know, it's, maybe it's part fate, but I think also it's, it's circumstance. It's Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but it's a combination. It's not either or. And it's, it's, it's this context with a larger context. And so one of the ways that that word deserving is used now is when we, say, when we use the word people feel so entitled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? right? And we know entitlement is bullshit. Yeah. So that's yeah. the bu- deserving that we're talking here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, entitled. Yeah. Entitled. I happened to grow up in post-war America yeah. with immigrant parents who got professional degrees and we ha- you know, it's like and then I wind right. up like right. sitting pretty. It's like yeah. I'm just lucky. Yeah. You know, Certainly but then but to be in this all place. of it. But then and this is the interesting part to me. A really interesting part is I feel lucky, and then at, in my out of my entitlement, I look at somebody who maybe doesn't have two nickels to rub together, mm. and I say, "Oh, that poor person." But I've met poor people who feel just as lucky as I do. Yeah. Who feel, or you know, it's like I've I uh, I remember this cab driver in in uh, it was you know how you have certain experiences that I was saying that become your own Torah. The stories you go back to over and over. Um, and he was this African guy, and he was taking me somewhere in Philadelphia. It's a long story. I just, I just like, torn up my knee so I couldn't walk, and I was like... But, um, and he didn't know where he was taking me. He actually didn't know his way around. It was a very funny experience. And we're listening to the radio, and the song is, like, singing, I'll never smile again. And he says to me, he says to me, can you believe Daddy? Yeah, right. <laughs> He's gonna smile again. <laughs> and he was, la- and I thought, oh, you just made my day. And like, uh, so that, that this whole business of deserving and entitlement is all wrapped up with also, um, with also th- um, uh, um, um, ego, ego, and narcissism, narcissism, and all of that. And so we want to puncture that totally. On the other hand, there's a level where you get what you deserve is also true. So what we have to do is not try to tie this up with a ribbon. That's why I'm saying over and over again, there's the six days of the week, and then there's Shabbos where you say, I'm just lucky, thank you, God. You know, thank you for it all. And then you go back into business, right? And you play the game, because the game is real. It's the game of life. But then you have Shabbos, where you step back and say, I love you, God. Thanks for giving me life. Right? But that can inform the next six What happens is if you practice that, yeah, exactly. it informs and uplifts 
all of your other interactions. They stop being out of righteous anger and instead are out of a desire to make things better. They stop being out of a sense of why is this happening to me and start being more about, hmm, what's the next beautiful problem that's coming along down the pike here? And so, it, so then you become the light that you really want to be in the world. Nothing has changed externally. This is spirit, that's spiritual practice. Can change externally. It thinks, it, it changes, it, have an effect. it has an effect, it uplifts. But I can't have that expectation. But you but don't I do it with that expectation. Right, but I, but, and it has some. Right, if you then go out of Shabbos, this is like the enlightenment sort of uh, right. uh, trap. And you say, now I'm so enlightened, everything around me is going to be hunky-dory. No, that's when... You're screwed. That's you're when, you're that's easy, when the Right? So you go back to the world with right. no expectation. Exactly. And lo and behold, you can uplift sparks. That was me. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Rob, you want to say a long yeah. time ago. So I'm just looking at this gematria, and, all, you know, all these sevens, it, it's just sort of like... Um, it's like teshuva on steroids or something, yeah. right? And, <laughs> and and what we're what you were just talking about, Jonathan, is is that during the six days of the week, we're sort of transactional, right? Transactional. That's the word and, I was looking for. And, but on the seventh day, we can become relational, uh-huh. right? So we're back in relationship with God, back into relationship with ourselves, and all these sevens are sort of that on, you know, if you look at it almost in concentric circles, right? On the week or in 77 years, which is huge for us as Jews. I, I, don't even, I can't even imagine what 777 years could be. But this is like, um, it's, and this actual reading, this first one that you pulled, is really the ultimate test of teshuva, right? If, if you're trapped without cause and you can still reach that seven, I think this is what you were saying, reach that seventh day and come out of it and be like, okay, we're gonna breathe again. Let's try this again. That's, that's like the ultimate test right there. So to me, you know, when I look at the gematria and then I see the one that pulled out that added up to five, seven, five, seven, 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 it's kind of, it's, it almost couldn't be more perfect than Isn't that. Isn't it amazing? In a way. And, and the way that filters down to all the sevens really um, takes it sort of from way up here to something very personal and, 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 and something that can be put into practice on a weekly basis. Not that I do it, but you know. You're doing um, fine. You're doing fine. <laughs> we're, all, we're all working it our own way. So think about Joseph again. He's thrown without cause into the pit. That's what they call the, into the, into the, you know, the dungeon. And he's there for two years, totally ensnared. And then the, um, the, uh, the, the, the head baker comes to him and Joseph says to him, why do you look so downcast today? So Joseph has a choice, even in that situation, to reach, to reach out to the other prisoner. Um, and it's out of that that eventually gets him lifted up, but not right away. Remember, he says, listen, after Pharaoh uh, frees you, please remember him to me. And two years later, the, uh, is it the baker or the wine steward? Uh, it's the steward. The wine steward is the one who doesn't die. Uh, two years later, he says, oh, Pharaoh has a dream. And it's two years later, and um, uh, the steward says, oh, Pharaoh, I just remembered. 
there's this guy in prison who interpreted my dream. Maybe he can interpret yours. Joseph has spent two more years, and he comes up from the prison. They says they gave him a shave and a new set of clothes and a shower, and he goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, God interprets the dreams, but I'll see what I can do for you. Um, so I'm just thinking about the Joseph story. Um, totally ensnared. Uh, that's but also relational. Right? But, but that's, that's yeah. my point. Think about Nelson Mandela as our yes. modern-day Joseph, who spends 27 years in hard labor, but is free inside because uh, uh, that he can be... You, it's an amazing story. An amazing story. Julia? It's even funny in the Torah because I think it says, I forget which man it was, but he did not remember, he forgot. Oh, right. It says, remember me, and it says, but he did not remember, and that's the end of the Parsha. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. That's right. Pauline? So I, I was thinking of two things. Number one, we're, we're, um, we're doing a lot about this teshuva, and there's this concept of yetzay. How do you walk out of what you've, do, what you've been doing? So you do the process of the high holidays, of teshuva, of returning, but what is Yetzeh? What, what are you walking out with? So Reb Zalman used to have something that when he finished davening every morning, he'd say, so God, um, how do you want Zalman to walk in the world today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was beautiful to me. The other thing I was thinking about, yeah. Oh, I like that. God, how do you want Zalman, how do you want Jonathan to walk in the world today? How do you want to deploy me? How do you want to deploy me today? <laughs> oh, isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful because I, I always, you know, say, okay, so what do you want Pauline to do to, right now? The other thing is that we're, we're Oh, can I, hold on, remember that thought. Okay. I love this. Yes. I want to remember it. Oh. How do you want to deploy me today? Kaddish Baruch Hu. You know, Ribbani Shalalam. You know, there are many Hebrew terms for God that are more like intimate address. Yes. You know, oh, you know. How, how, Rabbi Shalom, how do you want to deploy me today? You want me to be miserable? I don't think so. Right. You want me to, you want me to scratch this until it bleeds again? You know? Oh. The, the deploy word is great because it means, I mean, in a military sense, it means that you're in service. Right. That you're in service. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, you know, Chabad. Zalman comes out of Chabad, and they consider themselves to be God's army. Yeah. Soldiers. Yeah. Right. But in the service of this spiritual, what was the next thing you wanted to say? Yeah, well, I think Sarah wants to make a remark about that. I just want to tie into that. When we did the class at at the Kalah together, the class at the Kalah 25 years ago? Yes. Yes. And we danced Kadosh, 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 Mm -hmm. and it was the angels getting their orders for the day, Mm -hmm. and that's the same Mm. thing. That's right. What are my orders for the day? It's beautiful, beautiful. So then on a very uh, different level in terms of some of the things that were said with Rob is that I think about when we pray, when we have our Sabbath service, we're doing it in the four worlds because we live in some respects in the four worlds so that each of these things that we're talking about, entitlement, um, in what they're relational. They're all depends if we're working in the world of doing, of being, of feeling, of creating, or of in some kind of relationship. So it's something to think about. Thank you. Thank you. 
uh, I want to relate to what Rob said, but first I want to hear from Gail and then from Esther. So I, I may be the only one here who's, I, I mean, I may be on my own course here. I don't know if anybody I doubt knows. it. I don't know, but that's why there's groups. But, but, but what, I'm, what I'm sitting here feeling over and over is the path of developing basically mindfulness, okay, in one's personal life about the stuff that happens about life. Is found in many, many traditions, okay, and doesn't require God. Right. Okay. And the issue of deserving also doesn't necessarily require God and is addressed in many traditions, mm -hmm. right? Um, with the realization that there's a mix of, you know, causation, A leads to B and a lot of it's out of my control and ultimately everything's out of my control ultimately right you know the fact that i'm driving along and a truck happens to come around the curve and hit me well i could do the causation that got that truck to being at that place at that moment back to the big bang and That's the same right. with me but it doesn't mean i had any control over that moment i mean yeah, things happen okay and doesn't require god to come to terms with that to get it. And it doesn't require God to talk about things like the Syrian crisis, because that's human action. And, you know, all traditions, again, you behave better, you act out of love and not hatred and fear, and the world would be a better place and we wouldn't have the Syrian refugees. Okay. That's not God either. You don't need God. Okay. But at the same time, when, as Jews, we come to service and we pray to something relational. Relational, that's right. Yeah. Um, whatever that is, it feels, it feels to me very different if one doesn't have some experience of relating to something that is Okay, and that's that's really what I've been sitting here kind of struggling with, because we're not talking about that at all. And that to me is is I don't know how people manage who don't have some of that experience somewhere at some time. And I'm not talking about being awed, I'm not talking about the beauty of the world. I don't mean that. I mean something in relation to me that I can experience. And I'm not saying I can necessarily, as um, compassion, as I matter, or as there is, as you have said, you know, that line, there's a, the arc of the universe is long, but there is something pushing that way. And if we don't have that, it's a whole different set of questions, I think, that we live with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So which, which side, where are you in that? Uh... Depends on which hour, week. Oh, uh, yeah. Hour. Yeah. I mean, the more I meditate, the more I immerse in Torah, the more I, Torah particularly, um, it feels to me as if it's revelation, that somehow there is something that has compassion, that's much larger than I am, of which I am ultimately a part. I'm a, a manifestation of that, as is everything and everybody. That's kind of my theological belief, and periodically there's some experience that goes there. Yeah. Okay. But... Um, 
And it seems to me, you know, and I have Buddhist friends who have the same experience in meditation, and Buddhist friends who don't. So, <laughs> you know, so, but, but it seems to me it's very important. And for many people, they don't, we don't have that experience. And it's really taking it on faith as we say words, but not feeling it. Well, let me respond to that. Okay. Which is that, you know, God is a placeholder word for me, as you know. So it's not like I don't mean... Right, and you know, my word for word is mystery. Mystery, fine. So when I say God, it's just a placeholder. It's a mystery. It's all a mystery. So what if, in service of... What if those of us who have this experience that love is the answer, then do the work by having Shabbos of remembering that so that when we go out, we treat people that way. That then creates the possibility that all the people we meet will have a touchstone experience of compassion that they know was good, that they can maybe build upon. The ultimate proof of whether this is true or not is completely impossible to do. But if we act as if, we have a chance of... That's the understanding of every spiritual tradition that I know. Right. Now, I happen to be reassured by some deep experience that it's so. That's good for me. I'm lucky. Yeah, what it, is so? Can you read that, that, love is, that love and compassion are, is my purpose here and that I'm fulfilling a larger pattern of creation by behaving in that way. Right? Uh, so, but where did I get that? Maybe I got it just from my mom holding me the right way as an infant. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, so you don't have to say, God, deploy me today. I could say, Mamala. You know, Mom. Well, how do you want? Because we, as long as we've got somebody for whom holds that for us so that we can, we feel like, um, so we don't feel like we're, we're just spinning our own wheels. Um, and there are plenty of people in that state. And then what's our job? It's to reach out to them. And you've done that plenty. You know, and... Uh, and then there's this opposite and opposing force in the universe. I don't know. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Esther, what did you want to share? I just wanted to say that um, <clears throat> when, you, when you ask, you know, God, what kind of day am I going to have today? It really puts the onus then on you. It's that you are making the decision about what kind of day you're going to have. And it's, it's a kind of a focus and that's not a bad thing to go. No, no, it's a, it's, it's so, so give your God a name, the one that holds that for you, where if you ask, you know, you already know the answer, mm. right? <laughs> and use it. It's a spiritual practice. Yeah. Uh, there are no, there are no final proofs. There's only our, you know, uh, so relational and transactional, just a second. So, uh, those are two good words, which Buber called the I-it relationship and the I-thou relationship. That's his book, I and Thou. The I-it relationship is when we see the world as something to be acted upon. The I-thou relationship is when we see the world as something to be related to, as one being meets another. And again, 
you know, so we want, we want to strengthen that, that I-thou, the relational. And uh, um, it's such a beautiful thing. Uh, now, there were a bunch of hands. Um, uh, Can I just say something about what yeah. you just said? Yeah. It, to me, the moment to practice that is when something happens when I'm really triggered. That's the place of practice for that. Can mm-hmm. I open my heart when I just heard something that I hate or dislike or, or the person or whatever it is that's triggering me? In that moment of time, can I remember whatever we want to call it, the thing that creates the next moment? I mean, it's miraculous that there's a next moment. How is there a next moment? Why <laughs> is there, you know? It, it, to me, it's, it's, it's amazing. But the time for me to practice it is when I'm really triggered, angry, shut down. That's when the well, practice. Well, l- God has given us all a great opportunity <laughs> this election season. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Helen, what did you want to say? Something that you were saying, it sounds like you're saying when all else fails, there's always ritual? No. I use the word practice. Um, well, yeah, uh, something okay. that you do repeatedly with a goal in mind. But is it because... It could be a ritual. But is it, are you saying it's because you can't have this other spiritual connection? So if you can't find that, then Well, I guess when it's... Then practice. And and rituals are ways we practice. A personal ritual would be saying every morning, okay, whoever, what do you want from me today? And that is just like a goal-setting exercise. It's like, so a a ritual with, a ritual is something you do on a regular basis with a purpose, with a purpose. Hopefully the purpose is self-improvement. And the reason people get together and then what happens to our rituals is that they become they lose their they lose their uh, the reason why we were doing them in the first place but is it also because you can't find faith so you you can't no 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 they're not it's not either or no faith is not magic uh in order to reinforce whatever our faith is we all have faith we all have a faith we all believe something we all believe something or we're gonna we're gonna throw in the towel you know, we all believe that tomorrow can be a better day. We all believe that uh, it's worthwhile to be alive. We all believe, that's faith. Um, you, you're, you, yes, you're, you're, I feel that you're trapped in some terms that other people set the terms on. Rituals are what we do to reinforce the things we, our, our, our mission statement, our belief statement, our, here's what we're here to do. And some of us, are ritual oriented and we love having lots of regimented ways to do this and others of this are much more improvisers and we don't need rich we don't look for rituals so much I, I i don't know if we're talking the same language i know i think something that they were saying about a lot of god is not in a lot of these um uh, places that, you know it's not because you believe in god that you believe in uh, seeing that terrible situations are going on. These are happening... Uh... Right. To, to have the arrogance to presume that we know 
why all these bad things are happening uh, is the most re- the most absurd sort of reductive childish thing that goes on but we humans desperately want to know why so much crap is always going on and so we make up stories about it that god wants it this way or god wants it that way that is not what we're talking about when we talk about god yeah we are not talking about a supernatural deity who is running this like a puppet show That's not what we're talking about. And if we're good, we won't get a coal in our stocking. We are not talking about that. That is the level of discourse that bores me to tears out in in much, much what passes for religious religious, um, dialogue. It's like, I'm done with that. (laughs) I'm just done with it. But... I also know that there's a great mystery out there that I don't understand, um, but that I am grateful for, I marvel at, I want to be connected to all of life, I love it, I, all of those are, are profoundly pious and religious impulses. We have them, we don't have to attach them to a supernatural superhero in order to know that that's, our, that's, that's, that's the posture towards life that makes me feel best about being alive. Does that make sense, Helen? Yeah, but that means also you don't have to have any religious practice. Not if you don't want to. You know. No, the purpose of a good religious practice is that it's going to reinforce the qualities that we want to reinforce. Otherwise, what the, are we doing it for? So that we can say, I'm on this team, hurrah. You know, it's like, no. But on the other hand, don't write religious practice off as empty. It's all about what people fill it with. <laughs> so those of us who were raised on the secular team are convinced in some place where we have to like somehow climb out of that religious people have, have just, you know, are just like, have their heads up their butts. How could they waste their time this way? And that's wrong. What you make with your rituals is what you invest in it. And we, that's what we're working on here. How to invest our rituals in a way that elevates us to be the people we want to be in the world. In that case, being religious is worthwhile to me. Um, right, so, I'm sorry, there's a mouse snared in the web here, and I have such an urge to release it. Okay. Speaking of something being snared, I don't know who these are. Uh huh. <laughs> Is it alive? Yeah. You got there it goes. Yeah. Not quite? Yeah. Free? Hurrah. So so I'll just repeat, you know, because we have created here at the Woodstock Jewish Congregation a religious community out of a secular base of people, we've had to basically claw our way into reclaiming the vocabulary of religiosity. Right? And we're continually having to do that. And uh, but that's why I became a rabbi, because I wasn't satisfied not having that as part of my experience, not having the context for us all to praise and be in awe and wonder and 
and cry and love together, you know, in a way that uplifts us. Right, so that, that whole thing of ethical humanism that we used to, I always, that was what I always felt I was. You are. Didn't need any of the rest of it, you know? And what you're saying is that you do feel you do need it. I did need it. I wouldn't have become a rabbi. If you don't need it, that's fine with me. But don't, don't then decide you know what I am doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the arrogance of the secular. Is that they think they know what bullshit I'm involved in. And I just want to tell them to get off their high horse, live their life as righteously and lovingly as they can, and let other people live. Because and part of the problem with that is that liberalism claims that truly every person should get to live there, but then they don't, they don't act like it. Right? right, And that drives me crazy. Yeah. It's so hypocritical. And if you want to know why conservatives hate liberals, mm-hmm. it's because it's, a lot of it is because of that posturing well, that liberals do. Well, we believe in tolerance, except for you. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you imagine how infuriating that is to someone who doesn't identify as a secular liberal? Yeah. Uh, now, that doesn't mean they're all, like, <laughs> right. they got their own problems. I know, and we have what then is called a culture war. And I am trying to carve out, in the middle of that, a different kind of space. That's what we're trying to do here. And I have people come in every day, yesterday, who said, I wish I could come to services, but I'm an atheist. And they were in, she was in so much pain, and I said, well, you can come. We're not going to make you believe anything. Um, we're just here to try to live and sing and love, you know, it's like, um, and I find it to be so sad that our entire culture, uh, no, that, that the, 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 the sort of primary story that everybody's got about our, is that uh, we're in a culture war, which we are, but then there's all these people in the middle trying to say, why do we have to do it that way? Um, it's very challenging, because all the trends are towards wanting to be on the right team. Mm-hmm. And they make it like a team. Everything's like a football game putting on, put on the news. It's all sports. It's all, it's all about winning. It's, it's, it's all gamesmanship. It's sports and it's, and it's most degradated. Yeah, we are, we are in a degraded state right now. And again, our challenge is not to buy the terms of that debate. You know, it's very interesting. I'm sorry. Uh, Bob, you've been waiting and... and Um, Uh, I just want to say that I do feel that ritual is necessary um, in order to preserve um, teachings and knowledge and tradition over time. That it is by virtue of ritual that these things are preserved throughout history. So if you think about um, the current trends that are secular um, trends toward consciousness and spirituality, that when they start to get big, when they start to get popular, they start creating their own rituals because it's the way it's that the way we transmit. It's the way that things are transmitted from generation to generation. And people who are trying to strip Judaism of religion, the whole secularist human whatever movement, uh, are, are are stripping it of um, 
what resonates with, if I can use a Jungian term, the collective unconscious, mm -hmm. stripping it of mystery, mm -hmm. and therefore it's not going to get passed down unless they now they start creating rituals. I'm actually um, laying out a book for Larry right now that cool. that's Good. on this subject, and I just want to rip this book to shreds because it, 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 it embodies what you're talking about oh. and it's, it's wow. <laughs> interesting opportunity wow. for you oh my god <laughs> yeah, and I mean I'm an artist wow. so I'm a big believer in form that that spirit needs to come into form and that ritual is a form and right uh, ritual is a form that's right academia has all kinds of rituals for right. passing along knowledge it's like a dissertation why does a dissertation have to be the way a dissertation it's completely ritualized but it's the way this you know it's like, yeah, yeah, boy, there's so much to say about this. Bob, we're going to run out of time now, so we'll keep talking next week. Yeah, uh, I feel we're missing something. I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. I thought going over this would be more of an experience of mystery and wonder how this comes together. And it seems to me we're not spending enough time with the experience of how magical and mysterious this is. Thank you. Let's do it next week. Um, because, uh, you know, we have this challenge that we're all coming in with very differing vocabularies and perspectives. And sometimes the first class, even after we've done it many times before, has to be once again a reclamation of the terms that we're using. So hopefully that has served a constructive purpose today, Bob. Maybe not, maybe yes, and, and we can launch into that more the next time. So I very much appreciate what you're saying. The experience that began for me when I saw some of the magic that came out, that was bigger than all of us. So Thank I, you. I really thought that I missed some, I, I got, a lot of cognitive input today, but I, I didn't connect with the experience. Well, I think that's excellent feedback. Yeah. And uh, um, since we don't have more time to pursue it today, I will carry it very much with me into our next session. Interesting. There's a paradox involved here. Yeah. It's hard to have. It is hard to grasp. It's very hard. cake and eat it. That's right. That's right. Um, any other pressing comments before we close for now? I just have a question. When will that be up? Um, uh, when I have time. Okay. Um, I'll, I've recorded this, and I'll put it on the website. Um, it's on the Lev Shalim website? It'll be in more than one place. Oh, great. Thank you. Yes, Gail. Um, I think we should save it for next time because it's two o'clock and people organize their schedule. Okay, good. Is there a Hebrew expression for this two shall pass? Gum ze ya'avor. Gum ze ya'avor. And the Talmud talks about someone named Nahum of Gimzo, a place called Gimzo, who everyone called Nahum of Gamzu. Because he always said, Gamzu ya avor, this too shall pass. Yes, that's a famous uh, rabbinic story. Listen, everybody. Um, oh, Avis. Avis and a wonderful group of congregants. Anybody else here in that bunch? Miriam. 
It's our third meeting of sharing. Starting a couple, few months ago, we got together as a community just mm-hmm. to talk about what do we want, what's going on, what do we need, and now we're having a third meeting that's building from those two previous meetings with a bunch of ideas um, for things we can do and how we can move forward together as a community and specific activities and initiatives that have come up over the last few months. And so I hope you can come. One o'clock on Sunday. This coming Sunday, one o'clock. Thank you. I'll be here. And it won't be the only time that all these programs will be offered and that they're successful. And if you want to add to this list that will be presented, um, and just to give you an idea, there was the second evening of sharing, so many people had ideas what they wanted to do as uh, social events, activities, learning experiences, and to do them together whether in large groups or small groups, from hiking and biking to sitting and studying or a book club, any, there's many different things. And so we're hopefully opening the doors for, for everyone to find something to do and to make new friends and to this relational right. experience which we've been talking about today. That's what our real goal is to bring us together and make the family even bigger. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, again, Bob, thank you. Yes. I'll keep it very much in mind. With all due respect for his experience, I got a, a great deal of value out of the, the experience today. Thank so. you. Yeah.